Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Jacked ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Have you ever had a dream? Something you wanted so bad, you just couldn't let it go? For Timmy Gatling, his dream was music. And we were hip-hop and R&B. We were unique because we dressed fly. We knew all the hip-hop stuff. you like, wow, these little kids are dangerous. And in 1989, the group he founded had made it. They're getting ready to go on stage in front of 41,000 people at the Los Angeles Coliseum in the crowd of fly girls wearing Donna Karen jumpsuits, guys wearing leather troop bomber jackets, and Obsession Cologne is all in the air. This is the biggest black music tour of the day. I was there. It was in LA, it was the Budweiser Superfest. The Budweiser Superfest. You know, I remember what a big deal the Superfest was back in the day, honey. It was the kind of show we would get our hair did, our nails did, our everything did did. In the summer of 89, rappers Cool Mo D and MC Hammer are on the bill. Patti LaBelle and Timmy Gatling's group, Guy. Trim, flat top haircut, well-dressed. Timmy moves through the crowd of VIPs and people recognize him. Hey, what's up, what's up, man? But here's the thing. Timmy isn't playing with his group that day. And so people asking you, why are you not on stage? What's up, you not performing? Yo, Timmy, you not performing? Because what they don't know is that Timmy is no longer in the group. What? The fans didn't know. It was like a conundrum. People was like, okay, wait a minute. It was confusing. And that was worse than anything. Instead, Timmy watches his former bandmates as they go on stage without him. And now, he's watching as the crowd at the L.A. Coliseum go off. Guy's dreams have come true, but not Timmy's. There's no other, how can I put it, it was totally bittersweet. You hearing your song, it takes you back to how y'all wrote the songs, where you were at in the hood, and now they up on stage and you're not a part of it. Well, what happened to Timmy's dream? I mean, how did this group of kids from Harlem rise to the top of the music industry only to come apart? The story of Guy and New Jack Swing is a story of friendship, double crosses, gangsters, two-timing, and the invention of a new sound that changed pop music forever. And if you listen close, you can hear it all in the mix. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. What does it mean to be black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as black experiences, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. From Wondery and Universal Music Group, I'm Taraji P. Henson, and this is Jack. Let me take you back. You're listening to Howard University Radio, Washington, D.C. So it's Friday night. I'm home from college at my family's place. It's summer 1989. Covering my walls, posters of Prince. Like, no, a lot of them. Because I love that man. Outside, well, an occasional siren. And on the radio is an escape from all that. A new kind of music. It's called New Jack Swing. In 89, all us kids know is it's dope. <laughs> and we can't wait to hit the clubs, bust out fake IDs, because I had one, and sweat to it. I mean, even if you don't know the name New Jack Swing, you know the music. Like My Prerogative, Poison, Michael Jackson's Remember the Time, mm-hmm. And even if you don't, that's cool. Because this was the moment when hip-hop and R&B came together forever. A sound that influences pretty much every song you hear on the charts today. And it started with a group of kids from the Harlem Projects who would change pop music. This is episode one of our six-part series, I Had a Vision. It's 1987, two years before Guy's appearance on the Budweiser Superfest tour. In 1987, there is no Guy. There isn't even a type of music anyone calls New Jack Swing. Timmy Gatling is 21 years old. Timmy's already had a taste of pop stardom. As a teenager, he was in a group that almost made it. Emphasis on almost. <laughs> now, he's had to put his music dreams on hold. He moved in with his girlfriend, and he's got a job at a department store all the way out in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's a big department store like Macy's, like a Nordstrom's Rack. Like, it's a just, it was a big, big store. You know, you take the escalators. Up to where Timmy works. In the lady shoe department. Timmy's girlfriend, Veronica, knows Timmy's not happy to be working there. Tim never wanted, like, that nine-to-five persona. He wanted to stay in the creative space. He didn't want anything to take up any other real estate in his heart, mind, or soul. So I knew the Abraham and Strauss job was a complete sacrifice. 
But fate has a funny way of working because even in the ladies' shoe department of a big department store, music finds him. Timmy makes a new work friend. Me and Aaron was the only young African-Americans in the place. Aaron Hall's a pastor's son from Brooklyn, a couple of years older than Timmy. Timmy likes him right away, especially his fashion sense. Aaron dressed immaculate, his suits and stuff tailored. But Aaron used to come up to me and tell me all the time, I'm a singer. But I heard that so much, you didn't, you didn't care. A lot of people still recognize Timmy from his old band. And a lot of them think he can help them get a recording deal. Never mind, he's selling shoes. He used to tell me this every day, and Aaron had a bad stutter. Tim, Tim, I could sing. I, I, I could sing, man. I'm telling you, I could sing. I sang, but I'm like, whatever. So finally, one day back in the stock room. I said, okay, sing. Sing right now. Sing. I don't want to hear it no more. Just sing. And he sung. Wow, my dreams are now reality. Each and every time you are here with me. And right there in the ladies' shoe stock room at the Abram and Strauss department store, Timmy Gatling is transported. I had a vision as soon as he opened his mouth. Soon as Aaron Holt opened his mouth, God gave me a vision. That very day, Timmy brings Aaron around to his girlfriend's mom's place in the Grant Houses, a tall housing project on the west side of Harlem. They're on the 12th floor. From one of the windows, they can see the famous red neon sign of the Apollo Theater. Veronica remembers that Aaron made an impression. Oh, the day we met Aaron, he had on a suit, but a stylish suit, not like a Wall Street suit. Very stylish, like, you know, black men wore to church, not to the office. He had a processed hair, not like a jerry curl, but it was shiny. Yeah, Aaron's got style for sure. But what really stands out is his voice. With every song that Aaron sang, it was like the energy in the room just went up, 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 up. It was just amazing. It was like, oh my gosh, this is it. It was like one of those aha moments, if you will. Like, this is it. Timmy has a vision of a new music group he wants to start with Aaron. Aaron was bubbly and effervescent, and Tim is just firing on all cylinders at that time. The ideas are flowing. He's like, man, we're going to do this, this, and this. We're going to have a group. We're going to be like the Gap Band. The Gap Band was a group that fused R&B with funk and scored a string of hits in the 80s. Aaron's singing? reminds everyone in the room of the lead singer. Literally, we quit. I'm not exaggerating, I'm not embellishing. We quit our job the next day. With no more department store day jobs, Tim and Aaron throw themselves into making music full time. And Aaron started coming to my studio apartment every morning, every morning. And they would be together all day. When I would come home in the evening at 5.30, 6 o'clock, they had been there all day. Tim had done laundry, cooked the food, whatever was needed. And he and Aaron had been together literally all day. They laughed together. Their musical tastes were the same. You know, they had more of a friendship, brotherhood. They write songs, lots of songs. At the time, I had a little Casio piano. And I had my bass, but I had a Casio piano. And Aaron and I started writing songs immediately. Peace of my love. 
good by love. Don't clap your hands, just dance. Even though I hate to leave. The songs are soulful, thanks to Aaron's powerful vocals. Catchy, thanks to Timmy's way with lyrics and melody. Now, their group needs a name. One afternoon, Timmy and Veronica are walking down 125th Street through the heart of Harlem, past the wig shop, disco fashion menswear, the rainbow record shop, until they come to the Apollo Theater and that famous marquee. Timmy pauses for a moment to take it all in. And then it was a store, a men's clothing store across the street, and it was called Guy LTD. Well, as soon as I looked over and I passed this store a million times, running up and down, going to the stores, Easter shopping or whatever. But this particular day, it was sunny, and me and my girl was walking up, and that name almost jumped off the face of the store to me. Right then and there, I turned to her and said, I got the name of the group, Ronnie. I got the name of the group. And she said, what? I said, Guy. Guy. For Timmy, the name sums up everything he wants this group to stand for. It represented the culture of young Black America. It represented the fashion, the music, that guy. Look at that guy. To me, that's what it represented. And even the name of the clothing store, Guy LTD, that I got the name from at that time, had the clothes that young people were wearing in the hood. And so when I saw that name, I was like, okay, that's it. Other people clown him about the name. Because they was like, how are you going to name a group guy? That don't even sound right. It's like one guy, but it's a group. At that particular time, they were like, it doesn't even sound right. Guy. But one thing to know about Timmy, he's stubborn. The name stays. And everything's coming together with Guy. Timmy likes the songs he's writing. He loves how Aaron Hall's voice sounds when he sings them. But they're still missing something. And Timmy thinks he knows what it is. A great keyboardist who's lately been making a name for himself as a producer, too. He and Timmy have been playing together in different bands since they were little. I'm talking about the guy who would end up becoming known as the king of the New Jack Sound. Teddy Riley. Teddy Riley lived on 127th and St. Nicholas projects. Apollo was basically four blocks away from where we lived, two blocks from Teddy, four blocks from me. So we all was coinciding with crossing each other, crisscrossing each other all the time. But Timmy says they kind of fallen out of touch, though. We was rarely speaking because Teddy was doing his own thing. I was doing my own thing, almost like taking a long break from each other. Because we was together ever since we was 12 and 13. Now we young men. But Timmy's heard what Teddy's been up to. Because frankly, his old friend's music is hard to avoid. Some of the most popular hip-hop tunes of the last couple years have been produced by Teddy Riley, which gives Timmy an idea. I wanted to combine the same thing he doing, the same beats he doing with hip-hop, I wanted to combine them with the R&B, the music. Use those same beats but make it R&B. Timmy and Aaron go to meet Teddy. And so we went and met Teddy. And when they came by, I met Aaron and, you know, he said, man, you need to hear him sing. And I said, cool. That's Teddy Riley. And we went in the big room with the piano and stuff, talk, and Aaron got on the piano and played for Teddy. We sung the songs to Teddy that we had already wrote. But while he was playing, he was singing. And he sung and 
I was like, wow, I was blown away. His voice was like, it was church sounding, but it still had that R&B flavor. And I said to Timmy, I said, so what is it that you guys want to do? Because I'm like, okay, I got something special. I'm taking it for him to produce. But I knew at the same time, we needed him to play keyboards and do the drum track. And I wanted that hip hop beat on the R&B. Teddy remembers things a little different. So Aaron butt in and said, I want to do a solo project because I don't want to do a two-member group. And when he said that, you know, he said, I'd rather him be in the group. No, that's not how it happened. That's a lie. That's a lie. Aaron never said, oh, I'm not going to do the group if Teddy not in it. That never went down, ever, ever. Well, if you hadn't picked up on this already, these two are like brothers. And yeah, sometimes they fight like brothers too. Aaron never said, oh, Teddy got to be in the group. No, Teddy the one who said, yo, I just don't want to produce. I want to be a part of this whole project because I knew I had something special. And he said, no, I want to be in the group. Teddy said, I want to be in the group. When he said, oh, I want to be in the group, I said, got him. Teddy may be working in fancy studios as a producer for other groups, but Guy can't afford fancy studios. They are unsigned and broke. Fortunately, they have a place they can use that's almost just as good. In some ways, even better. Teddy's mom's apartment. It's in St. Nicholas Houses, a.k.a. St. Nick's. Well, Teddy lives there on the first floor apartment with his mom, brother, and sister. Timmy Gatling, Aaron Hall, and Teddy Riley spend their days here cranking out songs. And even though they're just recording, Teddy remembers the constant crowds. We had kids coming up to my window because I lived on the first floor. So they came up to the window just to jam and they would play stickball or whatever while the music is playing. So my window was the block party because, you know, I had my little speakers that my dad brought me in. They heard it outside of the house, you know. The guys have a surefire way of telling whether they're hitting or not. You know, they were just, they were just there jamming with us. So that's when we knew this is the right direction and people like it. <laughs> it was a beautiful time. Mrs. Riley was very accommodating. She was, She believed in us. It was smooth, it was fast, it was exciting. And then one night, after the other guys have gone home, Teddy cooks up, ooh, something special. I know Aaron's voice, I know Timmy's voice. So all of those songs that I put together music-wise is, is from either Timmy or Aaron just throwing some notes. And the beat starts to form. And I was just like, I need this beat, but I need that sample, and I need this. So I kind of put things together in my head, and then I figure out how could I get that sample to work with this. Well, Teddy called me on the phone and said, Tim, you got to come over here right now. I got this song. I got this dumb song. You got to hear this. You got to hear this. I got this song. I was like, what? And then he said, I'm playing for you. And when he played it, all of the kids was in the living room going, yeah. All I heard was, yeah. And I heard this beat. And I said, OK, I'm going to be over there. Give me 15 minutes. Tim races the 10 blocks over the Teddy's place. He comes through the door. When I got out, it was almost like a party in there when I heard the music. Neighborhood kids are all at the window dancing. Timmy's like, yo, Teddy! And, and Teddy looked at me and smiled and said, yo, grab a pen and the paper. Grab a pen and the paper. And literally, everybody was searching for a pen and the paper. My job was the lyricist, the songwriter. And I literally wrote that song in 10 or 15 minutes. Then he passes the lyrics to Aaron, who heads to the bathroom. 
with a makeshift vocal booth. Teddy hits record. When I get you home tonight, baby, it's gonna be alright. We're just you and I, and it's For that short amount of time that we created, to just to create the creativity of it all. And, and, and you got three young African-American guys coming together, knowing that something is special here. We just knew we had something different and that it was special and we wasn't going to let it go. Hey girl, are you in a romantic mood, singing something special. But Timmy and Teddy have been around long enough to know that making good music isn't always enough. The industry's brutal, and you need someone on your side who can make stuff happen for you. And too often, that ends up being a deal with the devil. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Rhea Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. It's morning in Harlem at the corner of 127th and 7th Avenue, and Harlem's hottest makeshift car wash is underway. I was getting ready to go to Teddy House, but at that time, you had, I hate to say it, but you had men of lower means wash your car. You just give them $5, $10 or whatever, and they wash your car. The best car wash is better than regular car washes. They will wash and shine your car. And it's not just a place to get a cheap car wash. It's also a major hangout spot in Harlem. A fire hydrant's been wrenched open, and there's a line of very expensive cars. Guys with pails and sponges pour soap over Cadillacs and Maseratis. The owners lean against their rides, waiting for their turn. A lot of them wear tailored suits. 
A lot of these guys are drug dealers or music executives, and some are both. Timmy Gatling doesn't drive no Maserati, honey. On this day in 1987, he pulls up in a brown Volkswagen Jetta. And that's when he notices a familiar car ahead of him in line, a burgundy Mustang, just like the one his old group's manager used to drive. And then, across the street, he notices a big man with a familiar bald head. <laughs> It's him, his old manager, a man he hasn't seen in years. And I was like, wow, that looked like Gene Griffin. Gene Griffin. To understand why Timmy might have complicated feelings about seeing his old manager again, well, we gotta go back a few years and understand what happened when Gene managed Timmy and Teddy's first band, the one where they almost made it. The band was called Kids at Work. Gene was a 280-pound, burly-chested, muscle-bound, big guy, black mustache, very profound features, very, very strong person. He was the bald-headed bandit. Royal Bayan first met Gene Griffin back in the early 1980s. Royal once played guitar for Cool in the Gang. That's so cool. But when his career as a musician slowed down, Royal became a producer and A&R executive. He first met Gene because Gene's office was one floor above his. There was a strip in Manhattan where all the black music people used to frequent. Anybody you can think of was always in that area. It was the mecca of the music industry. I used to always see Gene come down. He always looked so flashy and clean, and he just wore lots of jewelry. He was a very flashy guy. I admired that about him. He had a very aggressive but very likable personality. Pretty soon, Royal was working for Gene as his A&R director, the person whose job it is to scout new talent for a record label. I said, yeah, I'll be a and R man. I said, uh, what kind of budget you got? He said, this independent. We we know major label, but I need somebody to tell me, bounce stuff off of. You know, you seem like a nice guy. You know, maybe you get cool to come up here. He was always trying to get cool in the game to come up there. So I guess that was my hook to him. But Royal quickly realized his boss's attention was split between his music business and his other business. He also ran at least... Well, 16 blocks in Harlem. Ran, as in, <clears throat> he was a drug dealer. Gene had 116 to 110. Royal says it wasn't all that uncommon for music guys to run the blocks in the neighborhood. Bill ran 125th to 117th or 116th. <laughs> I knew all the drug dealers. They were all music industry people. Anyways, Gene had a lot of power in the streets. You know, Spaghetti Boys liked them. Spaghetti Boys. Huh. A not-so-subtle name for the Italian mob. I know I went to at least three meetings with him. Never said a word. He'd always say, this is my little guy right here. They, they say, yeah, you, you can't even trust him. Said, yeah, you can trust him. He's good. At this time, mixing being a street hustler with being a music impresario wasn't that unusual. Like at the car wash. That was the spot. You get the car wash right there. And you pick up your drugs, too, if you was on that, that tip. <laughs> As Gene's A&R director, Royal Bayad says he's the first person to discover Teddy Riley. It was an afternoon in the early 80s, and Royal was walking down 7th Avenue in Harlem. And as I got closer to 126th Street, I heard some music. Wasn't sure where it was coming from. I only had to go through, like, 129th. 
And um, as I got closer, I started realizing they were playing Ladies' Night. Royal, of all people, knew how to play Ladies' Night. Because, you know, he used to be in Cool in the Gang, the band that wrote the song and made it famous. I heard a couple of bad chords. That's what ticked me off. The bass player was kind of shuffling the, the bass line wrong. The drummer was serving too many rolls, and he was adding extra beats. It was a simple, you know, straight beat. And Royal, I mean, he just can't let that stand. Come on. I just felt like they need to be told that they're messing up the song. Royal stopped outside an old brownstone tenement building. Stealing electricity from the light pole on the corner. They had a wire literally running from the lamp pole over to the building, dropping down into the basement where they were rehearsing. Royal followed the wire down a short flight of steps from the sidewalk to the basement door. Inside, there was a singer, guitar player, drummer, bassist, but what really caught Royal's eye was the keyboard player. He was sitting on a stack of telephone books because he was too short. And the keyboard he had was like an old, I think it might have been a broken up, not, didn't have all the keys, kind of like a Horner, clavinet type of keyboard. And it just sounded, <sighs> but he was able to play it. That was Teddy. Royal told his boss, Gene, about the band and that little kid who could play keys. Gene wasn't interested, but that would change. Because over the next few years, Teddy and his friend Timmy Gatling kept playing together, making music and growing, and making a name for themselves. They formed Kids at Work with another guy named Clorell Henderson. I met Clorell in high school. I saw this tall, tall, good-looking guy at the time with Afro, and I was like, damn, he, he looked like he can sing or something. Yeah, Timmy basically approached Clorell because he looked so cool. Timmy just basically walked right up to me and asked me, did I sing? And I said, yes, and he asked me, he asked me, was I interested in auditioning for his group? And he asked me, can I do some Jackson 5 steps? <laughs> and for some reason I said I could learn, even though I knew him verbatim. <laughs> Kids at Work does get Gene Griffin's attention. Gene's been looking for some kids, you know, who were young and good-looking that he could turn into his own version of New Edition, the hit boy band that featured Bobby Brown. Teddy knew Gene Griffin before we did. Teddy met Gene, and Teddy called me and said, Tim, we have a deal. And I was like, what you mean we have a deal? He said, call Corral and meet me downtown. A couple of hours later, Clorell, Timmy, and Teddy met outside the address Teddy gave them, a stately Art Deco building a block from Central Park in Midtown, where Gene's record label was based. They pushed open the heavy brass doors and stepped inside. I remember like it was yesterday. We walk upstairs, I sit down, we sit down in this lobby, wait about five minutes. Then a gruff voice called out, come in. And there, sitting behind his desk, was Gene Griffin. He was a very strong-looking, menacing-looking guy, you know what I mean? Look, looked like a gangster. And he had on some leather pants, black leather pants, with some boots, cowboy boots on, because he dressed, you know, he's just the best-dressing guy. And the first thing he says to us is, as of today, I am your manager. <laughs> he said, you will have a record out in six weeks and sign right here. And we signed the contract. We was eager to have a record deal. Teddy Riley and Timmy Gatling were just 16 and 18 years old when their band Kids at Work signed to Gene's label. He got them a deal to release their debut album through CBS Records. They had a deal, they had a manager, and soon, 
they would have a major problem. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense thing you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost, but now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully, no one will die on station tonight. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is the competition. Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. <laughs> In 1984, Jean Griffin got the kids and kids at work a major label deal with CBS Records. He became like a manager, father figure in that short amount of time. He took them shopping, and the guys remember Jean took them to the good stores. He would take us to、um, Barney's. He would take us to Columbus Avenue and shop at all these ex- crazy expensive places.、I、had black linen pants, black and white shoes. A black and white leather belt and a black linen shirt that cost two hundred dollars. I mean, I look like I look like I was a millionaire. Because you know, Jean Griffin's like you need a fur too, you know. For the lead singer Clarell Henderson, Jean's attention transformed him. He believed in my talent so much that it made me think, well, maybe there's some, there is something there. You know what I mean? In fact, Jean was giving the whole group confidence because Teddy remembers kids around the way were making fun of their style. We actually got jumped together by my projects. <laughs> Me, Timmy, and Corel. <laughs> we were called like all types of. We were called gays and everything because we wore furs. I would wear fur with some sneakers and you know some jeans. So they would hate on us, and we had eggs thrown at us and everything. But you know, haters gonna hate. The guys in the group were tight, like brothers. And Jean's belief in them helped them find success. By fall of 1984, Kids at Work have a single out called "Sugar Baby." Outside the venue for their Boston show, pandemonium, honey. And we couldn't even get out the limousine. Matter of fact, they even had the security that was inside the venue come outside to help us get in because the little girls in the crowd was going crazy because our record was locally big. In the dressing room, they met their opening act—a hip hop duo called Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh boy, did their outfits make a strong impression on the fashion-conscious Timmy? They were suited and booted, like that was their image. Jekyll and Hyde—they always wore suits. One of the rappers introduced himself, Andre Harrell. Andre looked at us up and down, shook our hands. A real impressionable, real focused, very nice. They also met two backstage visitors, Mike and Bobby.、Uh, that's Mike Bivens and Bobby Brown, two of the members of New Edition, the most popular boy band in the country. Well, you know, Boston was their home turf. 
<laughs> I can tell you now that I look back on it, hindsight, Mike is more who's this taking over our land type. You know, <laughs> but yet I'm shaking your hand. Even as a little boy, he was like that. Like, who's this new group? Then it was time for the show. When we did our performance, you couldn't even hear us because they were screaming. They were screaming. And I'll never forget, we did like a four song set. They lost their mind because they never seen we were young and we were playing instruments. So they never seen that before. And the buzz kept building. In early November 1984, Kids at Work released their second single, the one that was supposed to really break them. The day it came out, it burned up the local radio charts. Cool It Down was number five by, by New Edition. Singing Hey Yeah by Kids at Work, which was us, was number six. Everything was looking good until the whole Kids at Work ride came to a screeching halt. I'm walking towards the record company. I see Timmy standing outside. Timmy, with a sad face, just says to me, he says, the IRS closed the company. I'm like, what? We went up to the office and stuff, and that's when we found out that Gene got incarcerated. Gene had been arrested in a Boston hotel room, accused of being a major trafficker. The cops said the heroin in his possession had an estimated street value of $100,000. And we knew it was a gut punch. It was gut-wrenching. We knew it was over. It was a wrap. I had kept all the clothes that Gene had brought us when we would go on our promotional tours, was up, my, all my clothes were upstairs. He wouldn't let me take the nice clothes home because he knew I'd wear them. So I went upstairs to get my clothes and some man opens the door that was from the IRS. I couldn't believe it. For some reason, he let me get my stuff and that was, that was it. Timmy, Chlorel, and Teddy had just assumed that Gene could afford all of their expensive clothes or, or that maybe CBS Records was paying for everything. Now, they weren't so sure. This is the room I heard about Gene. Gene was spending a lot of money on us kids at work because he really believed in us. And he started running out of money. So because he ran out of money, somebody said that he went to do what he knew best. He made like some kind of drug deal to, to get some quick money. It must have went bad or something like that. That's what I heard. And because of him going to prison, CBS didn't really support us. With Gene's label closed and no one promoting kids at work's new single. First you used to hear it four or five times a day. Then you started hearing it three, and then if it played once, it was cool, and then it just faded. And just like that, Kids at Work was over. Now, when Timmy Gatling spots Gene Griffin at the car wash, you know, the one in front of the rundown brownstones, it's been a few years. Timmy's 21 years old now, and then people barely remember Kids at Work. It's a footnote. But Timmy knows that in the years while Gene was away, he and Teddy have grown as artists, as men. He's got a copy of Guy's demo tape in his pocket, and he knows he's got something special. What he's made with Guy is a hot new sound with one of the best young producers in town in Teddy and an incredible lead singer in Aaron Hall. Yeah, baby, he got that heat in his pocket. So Timmy's clocking Gene Griffin, who's fresh out of prison, by the way, and now he's trying to decide whether or not he should go over to say what's up to his old manager. I felt like, okay, I could handle it more, and Gene still had that flash, that savoir faire. So Timmy makes a decision. 
he calls out to Gene. And I said, Gene. He said, hey, man, what's going on? We hugged and whatever. He asked me what was I doing. I said, yeah, me and Teddy, we still doing music. We back together. At the time, we was working on the guy record. And Gene said, yeah. Timmy hands him the tape, and Gene pops it into his Mustang's deck. And it blew his mind. He was like, wow, y'all y'all grown up. This don't even sound like y'all no more. Whatever. So he said, oh, well, I'm staying at this hotel downtown. And boom, boom, and told me all of this stuff. I would love to see you and Teddy again. Timmy's looking for a way to take Guy to the next level. Because you got to remember now, this before anybody, record companies, anybody knew about Guy. We was just still building. And I felt it was like unfinished business that, you know, this was someone that believed in us the first time. There's a girl that's on the wall, standing slim and tall, but I think that's all she wants to do. And he, being the oldest savvy person he was, he was able to make himself a part of what we were doing immediately. It was like the devil's nectar. Because Gene's return is going to be trouble for God. on this season of Jack. Man, the Apollo was insane. It was unreal. That was a game changer of a night. You know, Teddy was that person who could deliver the kapow. <laughs> I can just give you one word, it's crack. There was Harlem before crack and Harlem after crack. And the guys start running, and as they're running, they shoot one guy in the back, and it's like, that's it, I'm getting out of here. And then he just fell into my arms and was like, yo, Gene smacked the out of me. You know, I was still, it was Teddy Riley, Aaron Hall, and the third guy. From Wondery and Universal Music Group, this is episode one of six of Jacked. If you want to help us spread the word, please give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wandery Plus in the Wandery app to binge ad-free. In the episode notes, you'll find some links and offers from our sponsors. Please support them. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey. Jack is hosted and produced by me, Taraji P. Henson. Consulting creative producer is Timmy Gatling. Andy Herman and Rico Galliano wrote and produced this story. Associate producer is Melissa Duenez. Fact-checking by Sarah McClure. Consulting producer is Barry Michael Cooper. Managing producer is Lutha Pandya. Sound design by Marcelino Villapando. Additional sound design and mixing by Jeff Schmidt. Executive produced by Barrick Moffitt and Daniel Seliger for UMG. Executive produced by George Lavender, Marsha Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wandering. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Jacked ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. 
Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. Is winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win two hundred million dollars. $200,000. Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The Goat, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. 